All right. Today we continue to look at all that Jesus started 2,000 years ago. Turn to Acts chapter 4 if you would. Our passage today is verses 1 through 22. If you're using the Blue Bible, it's page 1009. The story that we've covered the last three weeks continues. And it's going to continue through into next chapter as well. So Acts 4, 1 through 22. Our passage next week is Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Write that down in your worship guide and uh, read over it at home. If you have a family, read over it at home with your family in preparation for next week. So Acts chapter 4. Verses 1 through 22. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And then when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone... That was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
So this is a longer passage than what we're used to. Go ahead, dive in, jump in. Table leaders, consider giving a little bit more time to dig into it. I'll leave that up to y'all. And uh, we'll dive in in our discussion in just a few minutes. So Jesus certainly has started something, hasn't he? He came, he lived a life of obedience to God the Father. He perfectly obeyed God's law in every way. He willingly went to the cross to be the perfect sacrifice for the sin of man. And he died there at the hands of the people who should have been waiting for him and expecting him. And he, he was put on the cross by people that he came to earth for. Three days later, he conquers death. He rises again from the dead. Seven weeks later, he ascends up to heaven to the Father And then he sends the Holy Spirit and the apostles begin to do the same things that Jesus was doing. So we saw in chapter 3, there was a 40-year-old man who could not walk, who was healed. This was in the temple. He was walking and leaping and praising God, the Bible says. And then a big crowd gathered around and Peter used it as an opportunity to share how this man had been healed. It was in the name of Jesus. It was by the hands of Jesus. It was through the power of Jesus. But Jesus wasn't there. But the disciples were working and operating and ministering and serving in the name of Jesus. Isn't that incredible that people can do things in the name of Jesus? Isn't it amazing that the things that Jesus did, we can do too. Amen. Y'all, that's awesome. Absolutely awesome. So Peter is telling everyone that they, are, that, that, that they were the ones who had killed Jesus and that he was the author of life. And he tells them that they must repent. If they do, their sins will be forgiven. Times of refreshing will come from the Lord. And then at some point in the future, the Lord is going to return to receive All of those who belong to God, to to all the Christians, to all the disciples or followers of Jesus. And so Peter's explaining all this to them. And then the leaders of the temple get annoyed. We had a fun little discussion about what that word means. And I think that their annoyance was probably much stronger and much more severe than the typical day-to-day annoyances that we have in our life, probably. And so they arrested uh, Peter and John who, who were you know, telling the crowd what had happened. And it was late in the day, so they threw him in prison. The next day, the religious leaders got together and they said, By what name, by what power did you do this? When Jesus answered, or uh, Peter answered their question, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, We did this in the name of Jesus. And you all were the ones who killed him. He tells them, There's no other way to get to God and to have salvation except through Jesus. And the religious leaders were just amazed and shocked that Peter and John could say such a thing. After all, they weren't educated. There was nothing special about them. There was nothing super important about them. They weren't as good or as... um, in high standing as those temples of the uh, as those leaders of the temple were 
But there was something very special about Peter and John. And that is that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And that is an absolute key to, to applying this passage to our life, to making our life be more in line with the will of God. And so the religious leaders didn't know what to do about this. They got together. They talked amongst themselves. And they, you know, that guy that was healed, he's a big problem because he's not going away, is he? And he's a pretty popular guy, isn't he? He's 40 years old. He sat at the main gate of the temple probably for many, many years. And people knew who he was. And his life had obviously changed. So the religious leaders really wanted to put a stop to everything that was happening, but they couldn't because of that man. So they decided, we'll just tell Peter and John not to talk anymore about the name of Jesus. You guys just need to shut your mouth. So that's what they did. And Peter, said, Peter looked straight at him and said, you all have to judge whether it is right to obey you or to obey God. And it was very clear that they were going to be people who obeyed God. These apostles were given the good news of the kingdom of God. And they had the story of Jesus Christ, of his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And they had been told to be witnesses. They had been told to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom. And anywhere that the good news of the kingdom of God goes, it, it comes against darkness and opposition takes place. I would guess that for any of us in here who've told someone else about God, you've probably encountered some type of displeasure when you have spoken to someone about God. So today, we ask the question, how do we, come, how do we overcome opposition to the gospel of the kingdom? How do we penetrate the darkness in the lives of others. First and foremost, I want to say this just as a general rule of thumb. Anytime that we seek to bring the good news of God's kingdom to other people, we need to realize and remember that there was a day when we were not a part of God's kingdom ourselves. We need to realize that some way, somehow, the message of Jesus Christ came to us. And yet, you might have accepted it the first time you heard it. You might not have ever been opposed. And that's good. That, that's fine. That's great. That's your story. But that's not, certainly not the case for everybody. But if you remember that you were once lost in darkness too, there's a humility. There's a humbling that comes about you that helps you realize I would be just like this person were it not for the sovereign grace of God. Amen. And we remember that we're no better than they are. We're no better than they are. We were once where they were. So that changes everything. That changes everything. Keep that in mind as you bring the gospel of the kingdom to the lives of others. All right. So verse 1 or 2 says... Let's see, it was verse 1. We see priests, the captain of the temple. The captain of the temple, that was kind of like law enforcement, kind of like security guard, right? You've been places where there's security guards. And the Sadducees came upon them. Let's talk about the Sadducees for a bit. 
we don't know a ton about them. We know that they were pretty wealthy religious people and they were very political in nature. But they did believe in God, but they denied one important belief. It was very, very important. And if you've been in church long, you've probably heard this. This is kind of like the biggest thing they're known for. They said that there was no resurrection of the dead. Now, other religious groups, Jewish religious groups like the Pharisees, they all knew that there was a resurrection from the dead. The Old Testament, in a number of places, Daniel 12 and Old Testament prophets, and even in the earlier part of the Old Testament, occasionally it would say that there is a resurrection from the dead that, that, that will take place at the end of time. But they denied the resurrection of the dead. You know, so that was like one difference. And that might not seem like a big deal, but when you think about the implication of that, you know, how does that cause them to think about the most important event in history? Then it becomes extremely important. If they believe there's no resurrection from the dead, would they believe the message of Jesus? They wouldn't believe it at all. They denied a core belief of the Jewish faith. And because they deny a very important thing, when you come, like they kind of denied some of the starting points of Jewish religion. And when you deny things that should be foundational, it just screws things up. Did y'all know there's people in our world today that deny things that are foundational? Did y'all know that there are churches, even in this county, where some leaders of the churches don't even believe that the Bible is completely true. There are leaders and churches that think that anyone can go to heaven and that sin's not that bad, and as long as you try to be a good person, you'll get there. And we know, I mean, that this has been a core part of my teaching for as long as I've been here. And, and, I, and I know you all well enough to know that y'all understand how foundational these things are. Well, the Sadducees are a religious group of people who deny one of the most basic teachings of the Bible. And their Bible, in this day, the New Testament hadn't been written yet, but their Bible was the Old Testament. And they denied one of the most important things. Y'all, there's a lot of religious people in our world today. There's church-going people today. And if they heard some of the things that we believe in this church, like Jesus is the only way to heaven, like it says in verse 12, they're going to think you're crazy. And they're religious, and they go to church, and they, they do some of, the, some of the same things we do, but the heart behind it is not the same. In some ways, y'all, talking to religious people about the gospel of the kingdom of God it's one of the hardest things you can do. Peter and John encountered opposition with the religious leaders because those religious leaders denied the power of God. They denied some of the most basic teachings of Scripture. Another reason that they did not like, another reason they were arrested is because Peter and John were confronting them about the evil that they had done. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that Peter said, Jesus was delivered according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Then in chapter 3, after the healing, 
Peter was teaching, and this is what Peter was talking about just shortly before they were interrupted. But Peter said, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Nobody, uh, children, anyone who's still living with mom and dad, let me ask you this. Do you like it when your mom and dad comes to you and tell you you're doing wrong? No. Nobody likes that, right? I'm an adult and sometimes people tell me I'm doing wrong. I'm an adult and sometimes I have to tell other people they're doing wrong. It's just human nature. We don't like that, do we? Generally speaking, most people have a pride issue. Some people, it's really extreme and you think that, you know, I can do no wrong ever and nobody can tell me what to do. So some people got it real bad when it comes to this. Other people, just they don't want to be bothered with it. They don't want to have to change. They just want to be left alone and they want to keep going in it. Well, these religious leaders... They had the power just maybe two months earlier. We're not sure the exact timeline, but maybe around two months, maybe three, maybe four, maybe six. It's hard to say. But just months earlier, they had the power to stop Jesus Christ from being crucified. The crowd was calling for crucifixion. The religious leaders could have put a stop to it, but they didn't. They complied with the crowd. And they gave the okay for Jesus Christ to be crucified. And now, multiple times, they have been confronted with their guilt. Now, nobody living today was part of that crowd that cried, crucify him, crucify him, right? No. But, are we guilty nonetheless of breaking the command of God? Absolutely. If you don't think you've been guilty of breaking the command of God, why don't you take a minute and read those commands of God. Start in Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. I guarantee you, you've broken a few of them. And if you don't think you have, go and look at what Jesus taught about the Ten Commandments and how he understood them. And the way Jesus understood the Ten Commandments kind of make every one of us guilty of breaking all ten, I think. Think about the first and the second Commandment, greatest commandment that Jesus gave. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to think very long to see how you have failed to love God the way you should, and how we have failed to love our neighbor as we should. So there was opposition to the message of Peter and John. There's opposition to the message of the gospel of the kingdom that we've been given to proclaim to others because. There's an indictment that comes with it. There's a charge that you are a guilty lawbreaker in the sight of God. In addition to this, these and, and someone at my table brought this up, and it, it was it was awesome to to hear all about it. They were disrupting the status quo. Y'all, you ever read a book or watched a movie? Where someone who had a lot of power and authority started to lose that power. Okay, several stories came up at the table I was at. The one I was most familiar with was The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The book starts out with the White Witch, or the first of the seven books has a White Witch, and she's the main enemy in that book. And she's about to lose her power. And she goes through great 
links to try to preserve that power. Someone from the outside comes in and starts, they, they almost disrupt the pecking order. And if you've been to my house and paid attention much, you know what a pecking order is. <laughs> uh, so they were disrupting the status quo. These religious leaders, they really liked being in charge of the temple. They really liked the recognition that they had with that. And now, someone is teaching that animal sacrifices aren't needed anymore because the one true final and eternal sacrifice, Jesus Christ, has come. Jesus was teaching that he was the temple of God. And we go on later after this to see that all Christians are God's temple because God lives within them. And so the message of Jesus was going to really upset some things and turn the tables for them. In many ways, it was a different narrative. What's a narrative? A narrative is a story. It's your understanding of history. It's your understanding of how we got here today. If you pay attention to the news, you know that there's some people that have one understanding of the history of our nation. And then there's other groups that have different understandings of the history of our nation. And so we have different narratives and they're competing with each other. And some people say that history is being rewritten by another group of people because whoever controls the narrative is more likely to be able to have more followers or to have the most power. Well, the religious leaders, they liked the narrative of the Old Testament. They liked the narrative that the temple is the most important place to God and it's where God dwells and it's just what we happen to be in charge of and everyone comes here every year and we're the center of attention and we're one of the most important places on earth and the most important people. They loved the narrative because it propped up their position. And now the narrative has changed. Instead of them waiting for the Messiah to come, Peter and John are saying the Messiah did come. And you are to follow him and obey him in every way. So Jesus disrupted the narrative and now the apostles are disrupting the narrative. So those are some of the reasons that there was opposition back then. Why is there opposition today? Well, certainly for some of the same reasons. One of them being confrontation of guilt. In order for the good news of, of the kingdom of God to be like good news, people need to know the bad news. People need to know why they need God. And that is because they stand as guilty sinners in the sight of a holy and just and righteous God. In our proclamation of God as king... People aren't going to think they need a new king. Why would they need it? Our former president, Donald Trump, and he talked like he was a Christian sometimes, but he was caught. There are numerous recordings floating around of him out there. I'm saying, I don't really understand why I need to repent or why I need forgiveness. I do the right thing so often. And whenever I don't do the right thing, I just go and try to do more right things to make everything okay than when I shouldn't have done the wrong thing. Now, he had it horribly wrong. Amen. We don't like, most people don't think that they're guilty. Most people don't think that they're that bad. But we all either were or are. So this message that we're called to proclaim is a message that confronts evil. 
Another reason why people don't like our message today is because it is not secular. What does that word secular means mean? We live in a world today that feels like God is very distant in the dealings of our world. Or they feel like, in its most extreme sense, that there is no God at all. We live in a world today where most people believe that God has very little, if any, claim over anything that happens in our world. We live in a world today where God has no authority in this world, many people Say and, and if you haven't encountered this, then let me tell you, it's coming from many places in our, in, in our world. And if you just start looking for it, you're going to see it. You're going to see it. And you're going to see it quick. But we live in a world that is secular in nature. It denies the supernatural. It denies the miraculous intervention of God. It denies that God has a plan and he's working through people. To, in a sovereign way to a, accomplish that plan. Another reason we have opposition to the gospel of the kingdom in our world today is that people are very individualistic. Think about that word for a minute. Individual. Individualistic. What could that mean? Well, it, you know, I told you the secular meant that God has no claim on their lives. You know, God can't tell them what to do. Well, in an individualistic world, you know, that means I'm an individual and you can't really tell me what to do. And I understand there's there's some good and healthy things about that. Okay, hear me say that. But it goes too far when people say I can have my truth and you can have your truth. And what I believe as an individual, is just as good as what you believe as an individual. Y'all, there's only one truth out there. Amen. There's only one. We don't get to decide it. And a final reason why people oppose this message is the exclusive nature of the message of the gospel of the kingdom. Did y'all read in verse 11 about the cornerstone? And... and Peter said this, it was in reference to several Old Testament passages, but Peter said, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Y'all, that's a huge indictment. So the way we build buildings today is very different from how they once were built. But in, these, in those days, any large building, just think about the temple, you know, being the largest one around, it had a cornerstone. And that corner, each cornerstone, there were multiple ones, was so important. If the cornerstone wasn't right, the building was going to be crooked or it was going to fall down. The cornerstone was the first thing that was laid as they were constructing the building. And everything else was built around it. And you had to have the right stone. Not just any stone would do if you're going to build the building. And Peter tells them... To the relig- he says to the religious leaders, y'all were the builders. You were the ones who should be building this thing that God is doing in the world. But you, got, you, the, you, you found the most important part of the building and you cast it aside. You rejected it. And then in verse 12, you know, most people today wouldn't understand verse 11. But verse 12 is clear no matter what time period you live in. 
There is salvation in no one else. What does the word salvation mean? It means to be saved. You can't be saved except through Jesus Christ. There's no religion that will get you to God apart from the religion of Jesus Christ. There's no other savior except for Jesus. And I love the strong language. It says there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That word must from the original language, it means it is necessary. Salvation in Christ, through Christ, is absolutely necessary. And for those who aren't saved through Christ, they have no hope of life with God in the world to come or or on the other side of this life. It's not there. Y'all, our message is very exclusive in nature. Many people in our world, they're perfectly okay with you believing what you want to believe unless you say you have what you believe has some type of claim on them or affects them. If what you believe doesn't affect their life at all, they're cool with you. But the moment you say Jesus is actually the only way, then that means one of two things. Either they have to agree with you or they disagree with you and then that's not going to go well for them if you're right. Y'all, people don't like the message of, of the kingdom of God. They don't like the message of Jesus being the only way to heaven. So those are just lots of reasons why people don't like our message. The question becomes, how do we overcome this? Well, first off, I want you to expect it. Have you ever done anything and you thought it was going to be easy and then it was hard? Y'all, the expectations we have really do affect um, how our life goes. And it really does affect what we do with our lives. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that to tell other people about Jesus is hard. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you your job. People may humiliate you. People will misunderstand you. People will not like you. People will say things they don't like about you. You might get punched in the face. Or you could end up like Jesus and and be killed. A few days before Jesus died, Jesus told his disciples this. And and this is uh, Luke 21, verse 12. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Isn't that what's happening in our story in Acts 4? It goes on to say, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. So Jesus is telling them, y'all, when you tell people about Jesus, people are going to come after you. And Peter... Jesus is telling the disciples, this is going to happen to you. Jesus just said this a couple months, a few months at the most, before this is actually happening in Acts chapter 4. And I love it. Because Jesus goes on to say, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. So, So if you're expecting opposition, then you won't be caught off guard when it happens. Go ahead and decide... That following Jesus is going to cause you to be an outcast in some circles. And it will change how you minister to people. And I love how Jesus prepares his disciples for this and for us. He tells them it's going to happen. And then he says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. So how do you penetrate the darkness? How do we overcome opposition to our message? 
When the opposition begins, we continue to speak. That is so important, y'all. I've had many occasions in my life where I experienced a little bit of opposition and I just decided it was time to keep my mouth shut. Well, Jesus, in Luke 21, he says, this is your opportunity to bear witness. What does it mean to bear witness? It means to tell people of Jesus what he did and what he taught. What you've heard and what you've seen. So Luke 21, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and sisters and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. Jesus is telling them, y'all are going to have people that are real close to you that might kill you. If anyone needs to go and not be a part of this, I understand. But you do it at your own peril. God has called us into this ministry. It's going to cost us, y'all. If we're going to see this room filled up with, with people that are getting to know Jesus, if we're going to see that baptism pool get used often, then it is going to cause difficulty in some of our lives or all of our lives. Jesus goes on to say, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will be perished. I need to ask Jesus about this. And if any of y'all have this figured out, let me know. But just a couple sentences earlier, he says, some of you are going to be put to death. But here he says, not a hair of your head will perish. So there's something I don't understand about that, but Jesus knows what he's talking about. That He goes on to say, by your endurance, you will gain your life. So how do you overcome opposition? How do you penetrate the darkness? You need to expect it. You need to know that when you're faithful, it's going to happen. It won't happen every time, but it's going to happen. Decide, settle it in your spirit. Decide in your hearts now that in order for me to be obedient with Jesus, some people are going to be really upset with me. And I may lose people that are close to me. How do we overcome or penetrate the darkness and the opposition? Y'all, how, what, what did the religious leaders notice in verse 13? They were people who had been with Jesus. Y'all, Jesus was alive in the flesh like we are today 2,000 years ago. But he's not that way today, right? And the disciples thought about Jesus. Or, or the disciples had a personal relationship with him like we all have relationships with each other. They could hug him. They could eat together. We can't do that with Jesus today. So was that an advantage to them? Probably so. Right? Makes sense, doesn't it? But did they have access to Jesus anytime they wanted him? Were they with, did, did Jesus live inside of their heart when he was walking around with them? Where's Jesus live now? We know he's ruling and reigning in heaven at the right hand of God. But didn't he teach that I am in you? You all, any advantage they had, because they were actually with him, it is probably not as great as the advantage that we have. That Jesus is in us 
now. Amen. That might be a superior advantage. Jesus didn't live inside of them during those three years. Now, Jesus is living inside of them here in this story as Peter and John proclaim it. Y'all, being with Jesus is something, when we gain strength from Jesus, that happens over the long run. That hope happens over many years. That happens over the long term. I've been following Jesus. I've been with Jesus for almost 25 years, y'all. That's weird to me. Some of y'all have been with Jesus less time than that. Some of you have been with Jesus more time than that. Some of you haven't even been alive that long. Half of us in here haven't even been alive that long. Y'all, Jesus is in us. And because of that, we can be with him. So, how else can we overcome opposition or penetrate darkness? What's it say in verse 8? Peter, I think it's verse 8. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is always with them. All right? You know, Jesus is always with us. And and the Bible teaches in many other places that, that when we become a Christian, when we first believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives within us, just like Jesus does, right? But there are occasions. There are moments. There are times. There are circumstances and events when the Holy Spirit fills us or comes upon us and when he do, in a special way that he doesn't do all the time. And when that happens, we receive empowerment. We get extra power from God because the Holy Spirit fills us and then we can do something very important or significant to bring about the kingdom of God. So what do we have to do for that to happen? Can we control when it happens? No. Nope. But we need to all live our lives in such a way expecting that to happen. I was convicted this week by... I've been convicted a lot as we've been reading these few chapters. Because there's so much in our lives that need to change if if we're going to see a church on fire in this community. But one of... I realize when I go into Dollar General... You know, when I'm in public, when I'm around lost people, you know, I I like to be friendly and I like to connect. But the truth is, I have things to do. And I'm a busy man, like most of us are. I just kind of want to get in and out, unless there's someone that I encounter that I just really want to listen to. And and, and there's no, there's nothing in me going through the doors. I'm usually thinking, do I need to put the dumb mask on or not? (laughs) <laughs> you know, or what's someone going to think? I mean, that, that's the thing that's on my mind. But I need to stop. I need to pull up to the store. I need to turn the van off. And I need to say, oh God, as I'm around people that are far from God, as your kingdom is not present here in its fullness, God, may I be open to your spirit. And may I be ready for whatever you would have me do. Because the truth is, I'm not always opened up to the spirit of God. I want to tell you, the two sermons we've already seen in Acts chapter 2, they weren't a Sunday morning type setting where Peter was planning to preach. Something unexpected happened, and then he had the opportunity to talk, and so he did. And it happened to be large groups of people, but I, I, I think for most of us, it's not going to be large groups of people. I think it'll be in smaller settings for many of us. 
Are we ready to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon us? I wonder how many times would God do this in me if I was waiting for it and open to it? God loves the people in this neighborhood more than I do, and he wants to save them more than I do, but I have to be open to him using me if the message is going to go through me and to them. I have to let God's power, his spirit, fall upon me in order to make an impact. I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Amen. So... Two more things about how we can overcome opposition or penetrate the darkness in our world today. You know, when God does something amazing in a person's life, that's undeniable. In our story, what was it? It was the man who was healed. Could the people in Jerusalem deny that that man had been healed? No, they couldn't. Y'all, have you ever seen, and this could be your story, have you ever seen someone or, you know, even in your own life, did God just change you? And people around you noticed that change. That's undeniable. When someone becomes a very different person, that's the work of God, isn't it? And when sinners change and sinners transformed, other people have to deal with that. Why did they change? What's going on? You all, when God does something amazing through us and sinners see what has happened, it causes people to see the legitimacy of our message. It causes people to see that our God is real and that our message needs to be listened to. You all, there must be fruit in our lives and I want to see greater fruit in my life. I want to see greater fruit Growing in our community, wherever God's people are. And as that happens, as men who used to hit women become gentle and kind, people are going to say, what's going on at that church that has caused that man to change? As people who have an awful, rotten, filthy sailor's mouth just leave that language behind and Become people who speak words that build others up. And when they quit complaining and when they quit grumbling. Other sinners in their life, they can't deny that. You all, a little bit of fruit, a little bit of transformation gets the ball rolling. And people have to acknowledge and recognize that God's power does change people's lives. Verse 16, it says... What are we going to do with these men? A notable sign has been done, has been performed through them, is evident to everyone in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. So the religious leaders, the best thing they could do was just to say, shut up. Stop talking. And here's what Peter told them. Verse 19 and 20. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Church, I want to tell y'all, there has to be solid rock obedience. There are churches in California that have been told over and over again over this last year, you all may not get together to worship. And, and, And then once they did allow them to start worshiping, 
They said, y'all can't even sing when you get together. Oh, because of COVID. There's a church in Canada right now of hundreds of people, and there's three fences around the church. It's barricaded so that no one can get in. And today is the fourth, and they're being told, you can't meet. The pastor spent 35 days in prison, in jail. But the authorities that be are saying, y'all can't do this. And Pastor James Coates and Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada are saying, we will meet. You will not stop us from worshiping. Not only do you not have the legal authority to say no to us based on the Constitution of Canada, but our God tells us to continue. So you judge whether or not it is right for us to obey you who says we can't get together on Sunday to worship or whether we shall obey God who says that we must continue. And today is the fourth Sunday that that church has gathered in an undisclosed location. Only the church members know where they're meeting. They've been outside a couple times, which has been cold in Canada in April. They've been inside at other churches. And they have gathered to worship. And I'm confident. I've heard this man preach several sermons. I am confident they aren't going to stop anytime soon. And while he was in prison, other pastors in the church and other leaders in the church, they did the same thing they were doing with Adam. So if I get locked up, y'all keep it going. All right? I'm not worried about getting locked up anytime soon. But what I want to say is that there must be, if we're going to see the gospel of the kingdom go forward, if we're going to overcome opposition and penetrate the, the darkness, there must be unwavering obedience to God. Anything Jesus wants, we say yes to. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you.